the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. And today we'll be discussing a pair of hot first basemen and the long-awaited return of an exciting young arm in Seattle. But first, and most importantly, Eno, I have a true or false question for you, and I know you love these because these are always a surprise to you. So true or false, all Jeff Francoeur needed was a change of scenery and now in San Francisco, he's an intriguing second-half breakout candidate. <laughs> you get to watch him play every day. Aren't you excited? Oh man, I get to. You know, I mean, you know what? Actually, he's a he's a he's actually a nice guy. Like he's he's a smiling, laughing guy in the clubhouse. And you know, right now, as much as it pains me to say, the Giants clubhouse could use it a little bit. And also. If you use him, and this is just a real-life baseball thing, really not that interesting in fantasy. That's why I was laughing. Uh, but in real life, uh, this team has a lot of left-handers and does not really have a right-handed outfield uh, guy. So what they can do is platoon him, basically, in left field um, and uh, get a guy that is decent against lefties. But that's not useful in fantasy. I mean, I can't can't imagine that uh, one-third of the playing time with a – iffy batting average, not much power, and a good arm in left field is really going to be uh, useful in fantasy. But but it's a, the change of scenery. Doesn't a change of scenery always work for, for players who are having disappointing years? No? Am I wrong? <laughs> well, what's funny is that it, you, you're, I mean, you're being facetious and it doesn't work for, for most, but for some strange reason, he does take well to, to change the scenery. I mean, just our sample size with him is, is maybe three now, but uh, in in those cases, it's it's worked for him. Uh, Let's talk about somebody who might actually be useful. For yes, that's a better idea. Yeah. So the uh, the most interesting player alive today, we're actually for a change. This might be the first time in a while that it's actually the most searched for player that we're going to actually discuss, and that's Justin Smoke, who's been uh, pretty hot recently, and he has a 265 ISO in June, a 318 ISO. Uh, it's isolated slugging, of course. So far in July, he missed a couple of weeks due to an oblique injury last month. Is this a guy, I mean, he's always been that breakout potential guy, and obviously he's been disappointing. What about a second-half run here? Could he be a breakout guy in the second half? Uh, I'm sorry. My attention is not completely with you. It sounds like there's some breaking news um, regarding the suspensions. Um, there... I'm trying to find it right now, but uh, yeah, I read that on Roto World also that they're preparing the suspensions that might come after the All Star break on Ryan Braun and company. Okay, and I'm also seeing uh, some interesting uh, ways of looking at it, which is that uh, if you uh, if there are actually 20 cases um, and they haven't already gone to arbitration or or, or, or you know basically been appealed. Um, they could have actually been appealed already because we, you know, in the case of uh, Melky Cabrera, he had appealed it, uh, and we didn't hear. We sort of heard about it, but we didn't really hear about it until the appeals process was over. So there's a chance that something comes out after the All Star Game that's final, 
and that they've already sort of gone through the appeals process. But if the appeals process hasn't gone through, if there's 20 players, they cannot. They, the, the, this the fact of the way grievances and arbitration works that they won't those each of those things won't be final for at least a month, maybe a month and a half. So I would say I still think most of the guys on that list are safe for fantasy for this year. But but you are saying that there's a possibility that the appeal process has already been concluded. We just haven't heard about it. And if they announce these suspensions after the All-Star break, they're going to stick. Because Roto World in their blurb did mention that the sentences will, of course, be appealed. And, and you're suggesting maybe well, that process has happened already. Well, I mean, I just I just want to bring that as a possibility just because I'm a, you know, I'm a doomsday guy. And it's I think it seems a possibility just from looking at the past. I mean, Melky Cabrera, there was like a little bit of there was like basically Melky Cabrera was like this where we we heard something. And then, you know, people asked him and he said, oh, nothing's going on. But what was really happening was the appeals process was going on. And uh, so that could be why we've heard something about this, but not everything. Um, so. That's just like a little bit of a warning, but I, you know, this is a really tough position for for Braun owners in particular. I'm not going to sell him um, low. I'm just going to hope, you know, he's beaten the, he's beaten the the rap and appeals process before. So uh, I, I feel like, you know, I'm just going to hold on to Braun. If I miss uh, a month from him, I'll add it to the month that I already missed or whatever, and and it won't be a great season for Braun. But I, you know, what am I going to do? Yeah, Nelson Cruz also, Johnny Peralta, other names that could have serious implications for fantasy leaguers. So at this point, if you own those players, you got to just cross your fingers and hope that the appeal process hasn't happened yet and it'll drag on long enough that their suspension won't begin until next season. Yeah. All right. Our regularly scheduled programming you were asking about? Justin Smoke, who has Uh, such uh, a great name, if only he could hit. That we can actually use that name to say, Justin Smoke has been smoking the ball all over the field, and and we just have not had that opportunity. Smoke on the water. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I feel like um, I'm really pissed because I had him for a dollar in Autonew in in the staff league, and it was like part of this thing where I was basically screwing around with Zach Sanders, who I thought wanted him. Um, And then I ended up with Justin Smoke for a dollar. I didn't even want him. I stuck around with him for like a month thinking, you know, well, there is an outside chance. He used to be a highly regarded prospect. I drop him and now he's playing well. But um, this is the first time he's ever had a, a batting average on balls and play over 300. Uh, and there's one way of looking at that. One way is saying, well, hey, this is the first time he's been he's had normal luck. But, you know, we had, uh, you know, 1300 plate appearances before this year. And he had like a 270 uh, batting average on balls in play. So it's a little weird to see him doing this. Um, you know, he has changed his batted ball mix a little bit. And he's always uh, been a, a walks guy. So, you know, in on base percentage leagues, he's a little bit closer to being useful. But, you know, a, a 150 ISO, basically a league average isolated slugging percentage um, from your first baseman, that's just not, that's not going to do it for me. So I see some a couple of positives and a couple of big negatives here. First off, he can't hit lefties. For his entire career, his WOBA against lefties is 298. This year, his WOBA versus lefties is just 259. But he's actually WOBAing. That's gonna be a new word that I'm coining. <laughs> uh, 385 versus righties, which is pretty darn good. So he's actually hitting righties now. 
you just don't really see that because he's getting a decent amount of plate appearances against lefties that are just killing his overall season production. He's got one RBI against lefties all year in, in 70 plate appearances. That's pretty crazy. Batting 210, no home runs. So he's been absolutely brutal against them. The other thing that's positive is his average home run plus fly ball distance is up to 294 feet versus 284 last year. 294 is is very good. And his home run per fly ball rate on the season is only 11.7%. A 294-foot distance usually equates to something higher than that. And so that suggests maybe there's a bit more power upside. But the ballpark is killing him. Uh, right now at home, his isolated slugging is at 126 versus 178 away. So he can't hit lefties, and he's in a bad ballpark for his power. And that's not changing. I mean, it, it's possible he learns to hit lefties down the line, but right now he can't. And, and so both of those are, are really capping his upside, I think. Yeah, and I, you know, there's, it's uh, going to make some people laugh, but there is a guy named Jesus Montero uh, you know, who's training to be a first baseman DH type. Um, who's a righty who could come up and sort of uh, steal, steal platoon at bats from smoke. So, um, you know, this is a team that's trying to, you know, win at all costs right now and trying to save their, their management. So you uh, any flaw like that, they know about, and they are less likely to hang around after 1,600 at bats with a bad platoon split. So, and he's still showing that even now that he's going good. So I would see him start to lose at bats against lefties. That makes him a two-thirds player. Uh, with a with sort of average-ish home run power, I'm uh, still not buying. You know what would do well if he got a change of scenery? Maybe to Texas. Maybe the Texas can bring him back. <laughs> uh, that would be wishful thinking. But if he moved to a better ballpark, then uh, I think he would be a, a somewhat intriguing breakout candidate. But in Seattle, and until he figures out lefties, I think he's just going to be that basically the epitome of replacement level at first base. Speaking of replacement level at first base, Eric Hosmer has finally come alive, and he <laughs> stopped hitting like Juan Pierre. He had one home run through the end of May and being a ground ball machine. I mean, that's, that's Juan Pierre, and you don't want Juan Pierre from your first baseman. So ever since the end of May, though, he actually has eight home runs, and suddenly he has nine home runs on the season, and he's on pace to, to beat last year's uh, home run total, but pretty much on pace to to be the same as uh, 2011 when he hit 19 home runs. So, I mean, he's basically got a skill set that I think is undervalued in fantasy leagues. Um, so he's got value, but I don't, I don't think his value, his perceived value, is as high as he's actually contributing to fantasy teams. Yeah, yeah, and you can actually see it. Uh, we had a piece on this on the site today. And um, the, in the comments, they, they went right into it, um, debating whether or not that uh, was a top half first baseman or if he's just a utility player. Because Deronio said that um, he, was a, he was a fine utility player, which I think is the easiest way to sort of uh, help people understand that he has value is that at utility, a guy who can hit 280 plus uh, with 15 to 20 homers and 10 stolen bases then, then that starts to make sense. You're like, oh, that guy has value. You know, if you're talking about first baseman who does that, you're kind of like, well, that doesn't make any sense. So I think it's it's about a little bit about batter profiles. You know, people expect power from the first baseman. So that's I think that's okay. It's okay that people don't think that he looks like a first baseman in terms of stats. But 
Uh, I think he's got value, and I think this is a good lesson for us in terms of not looking at power and short samples and and uh, just assuming because he had a bad ground ball rate that he couldn't hit 15 to 20 homers. He had a bad ground ball rates his whole career, and he still hit uh, 19 homers and 14 homers uh, the last two years. So, uh, you know, I think he's uh, just a guy that is going to have some nice stretches, and then you should have a good batting average uh, given his ground ball rate. And maybe as a guy that, you know, he didn't want to think about it when I was talking to him, but it might be a guy who should think about putting it, changing his swing plane a little bit. I mean, just a, a few more fly balls might do him well. Yeah, I mean, I re- remember back in the day, Garrett Atkins was uh, similar, you know, in, in Colorado. He was a big ground ball hitter, and then all of a sudden one year, his ground ball fly ball rates flip-flopped. He became a fly ball hitter, and suddenly he went from a good batting average, mediocre power guy to a 25 home run guy. And and so it's been done before, so maybe that's something that can happen with Hosmer because his fly ball rate right now is at 22%. And, and yes, it's trended up each month, but it's kind of hard not to do that when it started out below 20%. It's still <laughs> below 30%, though, and that's just not high enough for a supposed power hitter at first base. I mean, this is a guy who scouts and, and people thought was a big power hitting prospect, maybe 25, 30 home runs in his future. That just cannot happen when you're not hitting at least 30% of your balls in the air. Yeah, and you know, I kind of hoped for him to have um, a little bit of the progression, and this is going to be weird because right now he's not doing so well, but a little bit of the progression that Jason Hayward has had. I mean, if you just look at Hayward, he broke into the league with a 55% ground ball rate. We thought, you know, it'd be nice if he hit a few ground balls. Then it was 53, then it was 44, and he hit 27 home runs. So I, I would like to see a little bit of a gradual, uh, you know, just a. It doesn't have to turn into an uppercut swing. He doesn't have to be Mike Mustakis. But if you could like sort of somehow smush him and Mike Moustakis together, I feel like you'd have a much better player. Yeah, just basically average them out. I mean, the good news about Hosmer is he's been hitting third in the batting order since uh, like the third week of June. And obviously third in any batting order, especially uh, behind the guy like Alex Gordon, who has a a pretty good on-base percentage, it's a, a really good spot in terms of fantasy production. So that's probably not completely right now in his RBI and his run totals or in his projected rest of season totals. So that gives him a nice value boost. And uh, I think he could be a a reasonable starting first baseman in all leagues if you pair him with the right guys. Maybe pair him with like a Dan Ugla so you're getting power from your middle infielder instead of speed because you're getting speed from your first baseman and not so much power. So the combination of the two gives you the power and speed that you need from those two positions combined. It's just coming from the opposite uh, spot. Yeah, and I think also, you know, that's that's why people uh, get into these ideas that they need power from the first baseman is because they build their team to need power from the first baseman. But right now, I mean, Hosmer has been available on wires and is even now might be available in trades. Um, so I feel like, uh, you know, the way that he might be best thought of is a guy that could sneakily upgrade your speed a little bit. So if you've got a guy in your utility spot that's hitting 280 with 20 homers, uh, if you can replace that guy with Eric Hosmer, then you're you know just look at your standings and add seven, eight, nine stolen bases to your totals right now and see what that could do for your your standings at the end of the year. All right, let's move along to Seattle, where we might finally have the return of Erasmo Ramirez. Of course, there's no guarantee. It hasn't been confirmed yet. 
it's possible that the Mariners trick us all and and call up Brandon Maurer again. Are you are you holding on to Maurer in any of your leagues still? Oh yeah, I still actually have him in ALA or uh, just because when he went down, he uh, he did better. Um, but um, I, I you know I think that uh, I think that Erasmo is, is is he's the guy that they promoted to AAA. Um, and uh, he's doing better than Maurer right now, and he was closer. He was supposed to be closer all along, and he's been he's more exciting in terms of uh, his pure stuff. So I think I think it's going to be him. And also, there's no uh, there's since he's already been brought up and his options are already in play and everything. I think that there's no worry about oh we got to protect his um, we got to protect him for future seasons or whatever. Yeah, and it's funny. Nearly a month ago. I posted an article, don't forget about Erasmo Ramirez. And and when I posted that, there was kind of speculation that he might be up soon. And I was thinking he could be up in the next week or so. Of course, that never happened. And then the the, the news finally comes, Bonderman's release. And then you posted that article, Erasmo Ramirez is coming uh, today, uh, a month later. And, and, and this was clearly many weeks after I expected him and, and many others got the call. So clearly the Rotograph staff has been eagerly awaiting Erasmo Ramirez's arrival. And and now it you finally know, comes. I was I was really I actually emailed Dave Cameron and was like, you know, I'm just looking at at Erasmo's minor league numbers and I don't understand. He's got this great change up. His fastball's ninety three and uh, the slider is an average pitch. So it's not, you know, he's and even the even if it was just fastball change up, he, he doesn't have platoon splits. So he's the kind of guy that you know, should have better than, you know, six strike six per nine strikeout rates in, in double A. Um, so I, I didn't really understand it. But Cameron said that he kind of took a jump in velocity and that he went from sitting around 89 to, to where he is now, which is sitting at 93. And that's a big deal. I mean, sitting at 93 with a with a changeup of 12 miles an hour slower, that hits a lot of the checkpoints that people talk about, you know, bigger than 10 degree, 10 mile per hour um, difference between the fastball and the changeup. Uh, now you've got a changeup that can get lefties out, and you've got a slider that can get righties out. He checks all the boxes now. Yeah, and I recall last year that somebody had posted an article comparing Erasmo to Chris Medlin, just given their fastball changeup combination, which I thought was a really good comparison. But actually, Erasmo throws a couple of miles an hour faster than Medlin. So I think. And also, you know, Medlin's um, number one pitch, I think, is a curveball. Um, which, you know, on the sort of platoon split spectrum is a little bit, can have platoon splits, whereas um, uh, Erasmo's, well, Erasmo has had uh, reverse platoon splits his whole career, so I think he has one of those change-ups that has reverse platoon splits, like a John Danks. Um, and so that led, that gives him something to get lefties out, and the, the slider is not a great pitch, but it, it gets 15% whiffs or so, so it's, a, it's an average slider, and, it's, and that's good enough. Yeah, the thing is also is that Erasmo's swinging strike rate last year was 11.3%, way above the league average, and that matches up with a, a better strikeout rate than 73 or or 20% strikeout percentage. So it seems like that strikeout rate has some upside. I mean, he's been posting an 8.7 mark or a 20, nearly 23% strikeout rate in the minors this year, which is a career best. And, and so I'm thinking that he has the potential for a high seven strikeout rate along with good control in a good ballpark with a, a better offense. He could be a pretty darn good pitcher even in 12-team mixed leagues this year, I think. Yeah, you know, and the one word of caution I would have is if you do roster him, <clears throat> perhaps uh, this next game against Boston is not the best 
uh, time to start him because I believe they're in Boston. Is that correct? I'm not sure. Um, I think they're in Boston. Anyway, my point is this. Uh, he throws high fastballs and has a low ground ball rate. Um, so there are there are some homer issues, but when he's home, those homer issues are helped by the, the temperature in Seattle. And so I, I would be comfortable starting him right off the bat 75% of the time. Um, and then, you know, if he gets going and it looks like everything's going well, then I would start him all the time. Yeah, importantly also is just where his velocity's at. I don't think I've seen a report of what his velocity has been this year exactly. Uh, he's coming off some weird triceps injury in the spring. And with the velocity jump last year, you just want to make sure that he sustained that velocity j- jump and, he, and he's still averaging over 92 miles an hour. I actually asked uh, a Mariners beat reporter about that because someone asked me in the comments. And he said the game he watched, he was 92 to 94. So he's, he's, held, on to the, he's held on to that new velocity. All right, all systems go for Erasmo. Well, let's find out exactly how much we really do like Erasmo with a little Would You Rather game. So, Erasmo Ramirez or Josh Johnson for the rest of the season? Oh, man. I uh, it, don't I? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Josh Johnson has a better strikeout rate and more strikeout upside. He's got a terrible home park, um, and, he, you know injury concerns and you know the best i can pencil him into is a high threes era and he's gonna have a worse whip than erasmo um but he'll have maybe a strikeout per inning more so uh it's a different package similar results i'll take erasmo because i want my era and whip i want to always want to protect those and try to find strikeouts wherever i can i'm not so sure that josh johnson's necessarily going to have a higher strikeout rate than Erasmo, especially not a whole strikeout per nine more. I, I think it's going to be closer than that. I wouldn't be shocked if they were similar, actually. And uh, I think Erasmo is going to have better ratios. So even though Josh Johnson has a better offense backing him, uh, I'm going to take Erasmo as well. Uh, what about, this might be a little easier, Irvin Santana. I'm going to take, um, take Erasmo because... Irvin Santana's a fastball slider pitcher, uh, and he's just – he's got nothing else, you know? And I don't know how he gets lefties out, and, you know, in his bad years, he doesn't. And in his good years, somehow he does. So I think that might take a little more study on my part. But just, just based on his, his arsenal, I don't like it. Yeah, I mean, basically Irvin Santana has been avoiding the blow-up all season, and I've been – I'm sure many of us have been wrong about him all year. And he hasn't regressed as many of us expected. And he's actually showing the best ground ball rate of his career. I'm not sure exactly what the change has been, but his pitch mix looks uh, almost identical to what it's always been. But he's so heavy on the slider, you just wonder how uh, he continues to succeed against you know left-handed heavy lineups. And, and so I'm still waiting for the bubble to burst here, and I think I'd be a little more comfortable with Erasmo. But I, I don't think these, the skill sets are really that different. I mean... Uh, yeah, their pitch mixes are different, but I think their their skills are relatively similar. I think Erasmo has a slightly higher strikeout rate ceiling, but other than that, I think they're similar. But I would take Erasmo over Urban Santana. And then the last guy, and this is going to be a fun one, our favorite, Andrew Kashner. Oh, uh, you know... I'm going to take Erasmo just because of the, the strikeout rate. I don't know where Cashman's strikeouts have gone, but uh, I'm going to take Erasmo. 
Damn, his strikeout rate is down to 5.9? What yeah. is going on here? Yeah, I don't know what that's about. I did discover something about Urban Santana really quickly. Um, he throws his slider. Uh, he throws a slider. Let's see here. Oh, I see. Yeah, he throws a slider the same place for righties and lefties. I don't think it's a good idea to. I don't think he's gonna. Don't bet on him. But anyway, yeah, I take him over. I take him over Cashner too, just because. Well, I mean, the, the hard part is that Cashner's in the NL, you know, and he's in San Diego, and the ERA and WHIP. Are are just better, so I, I I I would think long and hard before I drop Cashner. That was the hardest one for me, I think. Yeah, I'm gonna take Erasmo too because, I mean, the thing with Cashner is that even though his strikeout rate sucks right now, and shockingly his swinging strike rate is at 6.8, which is like that's like John Lennon esque. That's pathetic for a guy that throws 94 miles an hour. I I just don't know what's going on here with Cashner. You think just watching him that he's still he's still throwing 94. Obviously, it's down from previous years. You still have that optimism that the strikeout rate is gonna come back at some point. But I mean, there's no switch. Obviously, if strikeout guys, it would be happening. So I don't know what's going on here. So for now, while he's not striking anybody out, you gotta go with Erasmo. So I think, I think he's I think he's made a decision to to protect his health, and that he's. Um, Basically, just uh, he's he's not throwing the curve and the slider probably because they hurt, you know. I mean, that's that's what the research suggests, and uh, and that the, those are a little bit tough on pitchers. So I feel like uh, he's like, I want to pitch 150, 60, 70 innings this year, and uh, only way I'm going to do that is if I throw fewer curveballs and sliders. And you know, I, I think you can't argue too much with with the results right now, but um, hopefully he'll start mixing those back in. Yeah, it's not really a recipe for long-term success other than being like a fourth starter. And, and the stuff that Kashner possesses has so much more potential than that. So it would just be sad if he just kind of lived in this area that he's in now. Maybe him getting his ass kicked a, a couple of times will, will be a good thing because he'll, he'll need to change things up. <laughs> I know. I do need those strikeouts. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's move along to uh, another edition. I don't think we've done this in a little while. Of not a sleeper, not a bust. As a reminder, these are players that we found in our readings that were considered buy low candidates or sell high candidates. So not a sleeper is. We're going to start things off with Elvis Andrews, who uh, probably considered a buy low candidate, and uh, we don't think he's a buy low candidate. Why is that? You know, why are we not buying Elvis Andrews, who's been a consistent batting average uh, and, and stolen base contributor at the shortstop position and has been disappointing so far? Well, I mean, just for one, even though he was making some strides in the power department, he's uh, lost it all and he's hitting almost the most ground balls of his career, the fewest fly balls of his career. Um, and, you know, he may have another year with zero home runs. So now you're talking about a guy who's going to be a very, very much a negative in the home run department. Um he might steal. He might steal 30 bases this year, which is a good thing. But if he doesn't do it with a great average, and right now his batting average on balls of play is is about average, it's a 293, um, and his batting average is 247. That's a guy who's basically not helping you in any category except for stolen bases, possibly runs. Um, and uh, I just, I think that he's overrated in terms of value and. Uh, 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure though, because I'm seeing a lot of people um, trying to trade for shortstops because they have Elvis Andrews. And as much as I don't think he, Elvis Andrews is someone you want to acquire, I'm not sure that that's the way, right way to go either. I think he'll still be like a 12, 13, 14th ranked shortstop at the end of the year. Also, hurting his value is over the last five games, he's been dropped in the order three of those games, twice to the eighth spot, once to the seventh spot with David Murphy taking over in the number two spot. And I think the team is just better off giving David Murphy more at-bats. I mean, I think we both agree. I know you picked him up in Tout Wars. I think we both agree that David Murphy is a pretty good rebound candidate. I mean, he's basically the exact same hitter he's always been just with a Babbitt problem. So he should be the one getting more at-bats than Elvis Andrews. And although his BABIP right now is at a career low, it's not dramatically so. So even if he does have a slight BABIP rebound, what is he going to bat 260 the rest of the way? If he's batting toward the bottom of the lineup, it's going to hurt his run scored. He's never been a big RBI guy. He gives you no power. So Doesn't walk much. Yeah, I mean, so the fewer plate appearances means that's going to cut into his stolen base opportunities. And if I remember correctly, I'm going to check his splits now. Uh... He, he stole four bases in June, one so far in July. Uh, I mean, he stole eight in May, which has inflated his stolen bases uh, for the season. Um, so he really isn't going to contribute a whole lot anywhere except steals. Um, and that, to me, makes him pretty close to replacement level suddenly at shortstop in a 12-team mixed league. Maybe worth a couple, maybe worth, you know, four or five bucks. But that's not somebody that is worth buying low because buying low means you give up a $4 player hoping for a $10 player and he might very well not earn that preseason 10 to $15 value that most of us projected him for. Yeah, but you know, I just just like I was saying earlier, the, the, the shortstop position is so tough this year that if you're going out buying a shortstop because you have Elvis Andrews, I think that is a problem too just because you're going to spend a lot of money. You're not going to get any trade value out of Andrews, and uh, then you're going to have two shortstops. I, you know, I don't know about that one. I think that Andrews is still ownable, but I, I, not someone I would require. Yeah, clearly ownable, exactly. But he's, he's just not somebody that you should be really buying low with the thought that he's going to return preseason value because I think that ship is sailed. All right, on the other side of the coin is our not a bust. And uh, I recently read about him as a, a sell-high candidate, and that's Jason Kipnis. And I don't think he's a sell-high candidate at all, even though he's been on fire since returning from that uh, elbow trouble. And he's been fantastic this year, 13 home runs, 20 steals, which uh, aside from the steals, I mean, he only hit 14 home runs all of last year. He's already at 13, so he looks like an obvious sell-high candidate, but I don't think he is. And why is that? I just just look at his power um... – you look at his power numbers for his career and look at his minor league power numbers and the 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 number that's an outlier is his minor league his his ISO last year. If you look at his ISOs all along they've been in the 200 range and then he dropped to 122 in his rookie year. That's fine. It's his rookie year. It's just what happens. But uh, now he's uh, now he's adjusted to the league and and he basically has an isolated slugging percentage that looks exactly like he should have. I mean, yes, I'm with you the stolen bases. I'm not sure I wouldn't double that. I think uh He'll probably steal 30 again this year, but I don't think he'll steal 40. Um, but uh, I do think he'll get much closer to 30-30, which is the type of talent I always thought he had coming up. So um, I think that uh, the power I believe in, the steals, maybe not so much. And there's last year's the outlier is my basic point. Yeah, you know, actually, 
came into this year thinking there was a good chance that Kipnis would hit more home runs than steal bases. And uh, I thought last year the stolen bases were a bit of a fluke, and I thought his power was disappointing, and he had more power than that, and that would rebound. But apparently he loves to steal. I mean, there's nothing really in his minor league record to suggest he's a 30-steal guy. 17 steals was his career high uh, for a year. That was 2011 before last year. Crazy. And obviously you don't normally get faster as you age, so it's a surprise. But he's continuing to steal bases, so there's no reason to think that he's suddenly just going to stop. Yeah, he's one of my favorite players. And uh, also if you look at his uh, batted ball distance, this year – he has actually increased that. Uh, he's at 294 feet, I believe. And when we were talking about Justin Smoke, who's similar in distance, uh, and, and I said that his home run per fly ball for Smoke was lower than his distance, Kipnis' home run per fly ball pretty much matches with his distance. So even though his home run per fly ball is well above last year's rate, I think it's relatively sustainable given his minor league track record and given his distance. Uh, the other possible red flag that I don't think actually is, is at 355 Babbitt. Last year was at 291, but he's hitting a lot of line drives. He's not hitting pop-ups. He's hitting more ground balls than fly balls. That's the recipe for a high Babbitt. And he's got power yeah. and he's got speed. Even at, let's say he's, he hits 270 the rest of the way, he's going to have so many other great things going for him. And with the walk rate, he's going to score runs and drive in runs. It's just, it's going to look great all around. Yeah, so while we're not saying, yes, double the stats, whatever he's on pace for, that's exactly what he's going to finish, there probably will be slight regressions here and there, but this is a guy who's going to be a top second baseman all year round. I don't think you're going to gain anything by selling high. Yeah, and uh, I'm kicking myself because in in labor, I I got Kipnis, I mean, I got uh, Kinsler for a couple dollars cheaper than Kipnis, and I thought, well, you know, as much as I love Kibnis, I got the established guy. But I got the guy who's established. He gets hurt all the time. <laughs> He's a, he, he has established himself as injury prone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have Kinsler in several leagues too. And he was off to a great start. But he, he just kept, he keeps on getting caught stealing. And that's killing my team. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move on to a new backstop in, backstop, backstop in town in the south side of Chicago, and that's Josh Fegley, who I love his name because I, I feel like the word phlegm. Every, every time I, I, I look at his name, I think of the word phlegm. It's, it's not got all the letters. It does. It's, it's not like an attractive – you don't think of like a, a top-tier hitter in Josh Fegley. It's just a weird-sounding name. But he's been taking playing time away from Tyler Flowers. He's already got two home runs and just 10 at-bats, batting 300. He was having a breakout – triple-A season, and uh, I'm sure many teams are rushing to the waiver wire to pick him up. I mean, is he the next hot shot catcher? I, I think in mixed leagues, he's not a guy that you need to get. Um, he's uh, he's 25, and this is this was his uh, third try at triple-A, and those kind of things uh, stick out a little bit in, in uh, prospect um, hunters' eyes, I think, and I think a lot of people wouldn't call him a prospect at all. Um, so you're talking about a, a guy who, with his third shot at AAA, cut his strikeout rate and showed the most power he's ever shown. That might mean that he's kind of peaking right now and, and could have a, a good season right now, but it might also mean 
that uh, he doesn't really have this much power uh, once he starts regressing a little bit and that he's going to strike out a little bit more than his minor league stats showed. You can't strike out more than Tyler Flowers, so I do think he's going <laughs> to take, uh, take at-bats from Tyler Flowers, but uh, I think he's a deep league guy. Yeah, I mean, it's hard when looking at prospects because usually you like to see those power breakouts and you think those could be for real because, as Billy Bean has said, power is usually the last skill to flourish. So when you see a young guy who has a power breakout in the minor leagues, usually it is for real. And that's what we saw for Fegley. But, I mean, there was so many red flags here in terms of, yes, it was his third try here. He is 25, so he's very old for a prospect. And he was playing against competition probably younger than him. He doesn't walk very much, but obviously that strikeout rate is a whole heck of a lot better than Tyler Flowers, so that's probably a good thing. He is in a good ballpark as well, but I mean, Tyler Flowers is still around. He still has that power. And uh, yeah, I agree. I don't think he's anything more than a deep league guy. I think he'll probably be a little better in batting average leagues than in on-base percentage leagues. He doesn't walk a whole lot, but he makes good contact. So maybe he'll hit you 260 or so, but I don't know if that on base percentage is going to be much above 300. So yeah. Uh, well, and in, in uh, on the field news, I'm watching uh, Ryan Fogelsong uh, take some throws in the outfield. So ooh, exciting! That's that's very very exciting. Chad Godin is going to be shaking in his boots that his rotation spot isn't going to last <laughs> so much longer. Yes, we started with uh, irrelevant fantasy news, and we're going to end with it. <laughs> all San Francisco, all the time here on the Sleeper in the Bus. <laughs> See, that's the benefits of you being at the ballpark live from AT&T Park. That's right. All the Vogel song and Frenchy news you can handle. <laughs> that's right. You should be munching on garlic fries as well, just to make it as authentic as possible. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm hungry. I got to go. That's true. And with that... That is going to be a wrap for today. So join us again on Thursday for more fantasy fun on the Sleeper and the Bust. Uh, for Eno C- for Eno Saros, whose name I have never screwed up until now. Uh, <laughs> easiest name ever. Uh, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.